0: Well, good morning. Thanks for letting me be a part of your service today. I just want to remind all you visitors that <clears throat> the uh, the professionals are not here, and so if if this is your first time, you need to come back next week because what you're going to get today is nothing like what reality is. So I don't want to uh, I don't want you to think something bad. <clears throat> I am uh, very thankful to be here, and I want to uh, begin with a, a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll get started. Father, thanks again for uh, the great worship team. Lord, we just feel like we've been uh, brought a little closer as a result of their uh, leading us. We pray that our hearts and minds are ready to hear from you because uh, we're here for you. We want to receive, Lord, from uh, you, You the great King and the mighty God, and our allegiance belongs uh, wholly to you. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that You'd fill this place and You'd draw us to Yourself. In Your name we pray. Amen. I was thinking about that last song, God of Angel Armies on my side. And I was thinking, is that biblical? And I was thinking, it really isn't. <clears throat> this isn't part of the sermon. This is a little extra feeder while I get ramped up. And so you're thinking to yourself, what is he talking about? We all love that song. And I was thinking about, actually, uh, Joshua. As he's getting ready to, to go into the promised land. And Joshua has an encounter the night before. They're getting ready to take on Jericho. Plus, I'm telling this story because I, I got thrown off by that offering last time. And I'm ready for him this time. Uh, I figure you're not listening anyways. So, <clears throat> the angel of the Lord shows up, right? The angel of the Lord shows up and he, and he pulls Joshua aside. And what does Joshua say? Joshua said, whose side are you on? It's a great opportunity for the, the angel of, of the Lord's army to say, I'm on your side, man. Just like the song. That's not what he says, is it? He says, I'm on nobody's side. I'm on the Lord's side. The question for you is, are you on my side? And that's really the question. <clears throat> whose side are we on? Because the Lord Jesus isn't interested in coming alongside us and helping us be successful. Lord Jesus is inviting us to follow him and to do his will for his glory on earth as it is in heaven. He's a bit of an egocentric person that way because uh, God thinks he's God. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I want to talk about that a little bit today because as we begin a new year, I think, man, what I really want is, is a great year. Uh, I want to be successful this year. I want it to be wonderful. Uh, 2014 was a great year for me. Uh, for some of you, it was a great year for you. Others, it was terrible. And uh, hopefully we won't have to deal with that again. I mean, that's what our prayer is, right? Lord, let let 2014 be in the past, gone, and let 2015 be just an awesome year. And so we're praying, Lord, bless me. Bless me, Lord, help me. May this be uh, a great year. And, you know, God's heard that prayer a thousand times. I mean, a million times. For thousands of years, people have been praying, Lord, bless me. He even records such a prayer in the Scriptures. Just to let us know that he's he's heard that prayer. Let's let's pick it up in in uh, Chronicles. A guy wrote a whole book on this, made a ton of money on it. Um, First Chronicles 4:10. Jabez, remember this guy? He cries out to the God of Israel, "Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm, so that I'll be free from pain." Yeah, that's amazing. just reading that kind of, uh, that's kind of, seems really selfish, doesn't it? Bless me. enlarge my territory. That means make me really successful this year. I want to have a banner year, Lord. I want to make more money than I've ever made. And keep me from harm so that I'll be free from pain. I'm allergic to pain myself. I break out and crying and whining and fussing all the time when I get pain. Just the least little bit. Uh, That's amazing. So God is is used to guys looking up and saying, bless me, bless me, bless me. Now, your church, my church, the whole church that is the church, believes that Jesus is God himself. God came to earth, and he decided to take on the form of you and I in order to make clear to us who he is and what he's all about and to become our Savior. So in my opinion, this is God's opportunity. This is a great opportunity for him to set the record straight. Right For thousands of years, he's been dealing with prophets and uh, even writing himself on a piece of stone, what the Ten Commandments are. That's amazing, right? That's an amazing story. God wrote himself on stone the ten things he wants us to do. Of course, nobody ever saw those, right? Because Moses brings them down, crashes them down as soon as he gets there because he sees the people worshiping idols. And I think it's funny if you read that story, what God does to Moses next. Right? Moses, he says, Moses, come up here. And by the way, go carve out two more pieces of rock so I can write it down. the second time, God God didn't do it himself. He said, "Mm -mm, you just threw that to the ground. You know how long it took me to carve that out, Moses? I mean, he left that part out. But the point is, God's been telling people for a long time what he's all about. And now he's made a personal appearance. And so early on in his ministry, we're going to start at Matthew 5. Early on in his ministry, God's going to say, come here. Come here, let's come up to the mountain, Uh, let's get something straight right out of the box. Let me define blessing for you. Let me tell you what the blessed life looks like. I'm going to say, blessed is this. When you pray to me, Lord, bless me, here's, here's what I hear. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hmm. That's amazing. Here it is. Come here. Let me tell you what blessing looks like. As we get ready for this new year, let's talk about me blessing you. Okay, so the first thing he does, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, you and I don't usually put blessed and poor in the same sentence. You know, if we got together the first year, you didn't go up to your friend Bill and say, Bill, you still out of work? Blessed are you. Woo! A whole nother year for you to have no job. Man, how's that going? That's really not how it works, Right? Or, hey, you still got that cancer? Woo-hoo, blessed are you with no health. Ah, that's not how we do. We don't put blessed and poor in the same sentence. Now, he didn't put it that way either, right? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So what does that mean? I want to unpack to you today what I believe all these blessings mean, and, and then let's pursue them. When you talk about blessed are the poor in spirit, this is how we begin our relationship with God. You see, since about 1965, we've been raising little people to talk about, man, these guys are great. These guys are wonderful. woo, Whatever you do is super fantastic. And you just show up and we give you a medal. And so what's happened is we have a whole lot of people think, you know, I'm basically good. I'm a a good person. I'm essentially good. Not perfect, but I'm good. I'm really I'm really pretty good. And when God saved me, I mean I know there's a savior, but he got kind of a good deal. And uh you know, and I'm just going to keep going on in my in my goodness. That is not what the scripture calls us. The scripture says we're utterly depraved. It says there's not one righteous person, not one. There's no one who seeks God. No one who obeys. All are unworthy of him all are dead in their trespasses and sin that's amazing that's offensive some of you right now are offended what do you mean I'm, I'm pretty good no you're not you're horrible you're rotten you're terrible and you're utterly depraved and wicked and need a savior me too me too that's that's how it starts that's amazing I see, we're the only religion that kind of doing that. Everybody else is trying to work their way into heaven, not ours. Our God says, you can't get to heaven because you're horrible. But I'll tell you what, I love you anyways. And I'll, and I'll bring it. You know what I was thinking of when I was sitting over there? The first service is kind of like going to a Spartan wrestling meet. There's like 18 of us in there, you know. Woo! And then this is like a football game. Ah, oh, get it on! I'm here whistling. I thought somebody was going to light their lighter during that worship service. Uh, that's kind of old school, right? I haven't been to a concert. I Maybe mean, it's new school. Anyway, so we're utterly depraved, poor in spirit. Jesus expects us to come to Him on bended knee. We have to humble ourselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If we, if we think we're a good deal for God, we're probably not there yet. If we think that God got really a great deal when He got me, I'm a first-round pick. Thank you, Jesus. Where's my million-dollar bonus? We're messed up. And the better we know Him, the more clear that becomes to us. I'm telling you, the longer I'm in the faith, I realize ah, there is no hope for me other than Jesus Christ. And that's where God wants us to go. We only get to heaven through Christ. Christ alone. That's it. We're not good enough. So we need to be poor in spirit. And I need that from God. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father unless I draw him. So he's the one who initiates this poverty of spirit. And if I can see that in myself, I'm on a a good place. That doesn't lead me to despair. But it reminds me of the cross. You see, the cross proves God's disdain for sin. The cross proves God's disgust with sin. The cross proves God's hatred for sin. Think, Think about this. Think about our story. God's here. The Son of God, the perfect one, he's in the garden. He says, Father, let's talk about this for a second. How about a plan B? Is there a plan B? But not my will, your will be done. Three times, the perfect one, the one, the Father three times said, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Three times, and he says, No, no, you have to go to the cross, boy. You have to die. So I can save all these people. That's his deal. He hates sin. It's the worst day of God's life. I don't know how it worked, the Trinity splitting up like that. It's also his best day. Because on that day, both the justice of God is satisfied and the injustice that you and I have brought to God is paid for. Man, that's good news. We can go to heaven now. We can have a relationship with us. God, the children of God just expanded from the one son of God because he went to the cross. But let's not diminish the cross. We're not good enough to get in. The cross paid all the penalty for all time for all of us. That's amazing. And we need to understand that. God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And it's epitomized best in the cross. Okay? Okay. All right, well, let's move on because that one's tough. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 9.36 reminds me of this. When God came, he looked out at people. And what did he see? He said, man, they look harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. People are beat up. They're worn out. The world's a tough place. We, we got a pretty good here, but it's tough. And, you know, we have a propensity to, to respond to the pain in the world in a, in a couple of ways that aren't that good. You know, the first way we can often respond as Christians is just take me home, Lord. I can't wait to get out of here. Or come back tomorrow. Please take me home. I don't want to deal with this. Uh, get me out of here. That's one of our responses. That's not a great response, and a lot of the church has that response. Just waiting for Jesus to come back. If I can just suffer through a little longer. Another response, a tougher response. Some of us guys that have this response. Those fools get what they deserve. You know, their they're tough times is a result of their bad decisions. And that's just the way it goes. Get smart. Like John Wayne, right? John Wayne used to say, life is tough, and it's even tougher if you're stupid. Uh, so that's how we respond to that. <laughs> That's a crazy one, isn't it? Well, that is not God's response. God is looking for those who mourn and say, Lord God, the world is in a lot of pain. Use me to help bring healing and hope. See, the mourning that God wants isn't the mourning of passivity, but the mourning of compassionate action. That's really what it means to mourn. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus and Lazarus. Now you know the story of Lazarus, Right. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, those are good friends of Jesus. He loves those guys. But he and the boys are out doing whatever they're doing, and they send, a, they send somebody to him. hey, Lazarus is sick. You need to come by and heal him. And Jesus is like, mm, ain't time for that. The cat dies, and they put him in a tomb. And then Jesus says to the boys, all right, it's time to go. We're going to go wake Lazarus up. And even Peter says, hey, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. And then Jesus says, no, Lazarus is dead. So Jesus knows he's going to go raise this dude from the dead, right? He knows that. And he goes. He goes there. when he's on his way, Martha comes, and she falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then he, she, he, she, she sends Mary. And Mary does the same thing. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Jesus gets closer to the tomb, and what does he do? The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Now, just pause the tape. What do you mean? If he was a TV preacher, he would have walked in and going, Hey, the resurrection and the life is here. I'm going to raise this dude from the dead. Get ready for a miracle, people. But first, let's take an offering. <laughs> this is going to be a big time, man. This is going to be big. We're going to be bad. Uh, I am here. That's how he do it, but that's not what he did. God came and he wept. He wept knowing. Am I done already? Oh, okay. (laughs) I didn't get kicked out of the first service by the well, this one's not going too good. He came knowing he's going to raise this man from the dead, and yet his heart was broken by the brokenness of the people around him. And he just he just took a minute and wept. You see, this is an offense to God. Parents should not have to deal with children dying. Siblings should not be dealing with siblings dying. We should not have to deal with the death and pain and suffering of this world, and it breaks God's heart. And he's got a plan for it, but he mourns with those who mourn, and he invites us to do the same. And so after he's he's wept, he says, just roll the stone away. Just, Just roll the stone away. Lazarus, come on. That's what it means to mourn. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 1. He said, listen, we've suffered a great deal, but God has comforted us. And the comfort we've received, we now give to you who are also suffering. Mourning is not passive. It's not sitting in your chair weeping. It's weeping and then taking hope and healing. It's actually God wants to bless us with a broken heart that moves us to heal and bring hope. That's what that means. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. I had to d- look this one up. We don't use this term very often, right? Hey, man. Hey, Bill, how you doing? You look meek today. <laughs> hmm. Don't call me meek. I'll take you outside. So what is meekness? Meekness is patience. In reception of injury, it's not meanness, it's not a surrender of our rights, it's not cowardice, it's the opposite of sudden anger, malice, or long harbored vengeance. Let me give you some practical ways to look at this. Look at Moses in Israel. You know, Moses. He, that was a tough job he had, right, as a leader of Israel. Those guys are always complaining, always backstabbing them, always trying to stage a coup, always arguing with them. Okay, not can never get it right, and they're always messing with him. And what is Moses' response? Oh, God, have mercy. In fact, think about it. He's tempted, right? God says, Moses, these people are bad news. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them all out, and we'll start over with just you. And what does Moses say? No, God. No, 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 no. We can't do that, Lord. If we do that, then the nations that see us will think that you were not powerful enough and capable enough to bring these people into the promised land, and your name will be defamed. No, God. Have mercy. You see, he was willing to suffer so God would be glorified. That's what it means to be meek. It's to suffer so God will be glorified. Let me give you another example. Jesus is being arrested, and Peter, he busts out a sword, right? And he cuts off this guy's ear. Don't you think that's crazy? How do you cut off an ear? I mean, I don't even know. How does that work? He should have got a neck, or a, a head, or so, an ear. Anyways, he's not, maybe not a good sword. Jesus heals it. But Jesus says, what are you doing? I could call forth a legion, legions of angels. To come down here and rescue me. I am the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. They're all waiting at my command. It's not time for that. I go to the cross. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm meek. These people are going to put me on a cross so I can be the savior of the world. That's, that's what I got to do. It is not time to, to fight back. Jesus demonstrated meekness that's what meekness means when you have the power to get revenge when you have the Power to withhold when you have the power to crush And you say oh god let your glory be found in this. Let me just long suffer through it Let me be meek That's meekness It's not cowardice The meek will reign with christ Because the meek lived like christ that's why they'll inherit the earth. That's how Christ did it when he lived here. And he says to you and I, whoever claims to be in me must live as I lived. Actually, that's what 1 John said, right? Whoever claims to be in Christ must walk as Jesus did. He expects us to be just like him. And God, our God, was very meek. I mean, think about him. If you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords and all powers at your disposal, and you don't think you'd be tempted to use that a little bit? You know, there's, there's... There's uh, books written about Jesus when he was young. I didn't make the Bible because they're not true, probably. But if you read any of those stories, like the Gospel of Thomas, some people try to use these to prove Jesus wasn't true. But they're kind of funny because you can tell they're written by people like us because one of the stories is when Jesus was about 10 years old and the kids were picking on him. So what do you think he did? He turned them into birds. And they all flew away. And then their mothers were all complaining to Mary, look what your kid did. And so he, he turns them back into little kids. And there's, a, there's two or three little stories like that. That's what we'd want to do, right? Hey, man, you're messing with me. You're a frog. How you like me now? That's not, that's not meekness. That's not meekness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, this was a tough one. Because I think we're, we're lacking here, sorely lacking. Jesus said, what you need to live is every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Think about this. Our Savior has just gone a 40-day fast. Now the devil shows up and says, look, man, it would not be good if the Savior of the world dies of starvation. How is that going to play out? So here's some rocks. You're all powerful. Turn them into bread. You need to eat nothing wrong in that, right? 40-day fast, little bread. What's the sin in that? It wasn't time. Jesus said, first and foremost, every word that comes from the mouth of God is my food. Are we that hungry for Him? You and I must be students of the Word of God so we know the ways of God so we can obey the commands of God. That's our obligation. That's our responsibility to obey Jesus Christ. Do you love me? You obey my commands. That's what it means. Practically, work it out. How do we know what the commands of God are? They're written down for us. We don't have them built in right here. See, we're back to, I'm a good person. I can kind of figure, I know what good is. I just go about my business. No, I'm not a good person. I'm depraved. I need the Word of God to teach me the ways of God so I can obey the will of God. I need him to keep telling me and telling me again and again and again. When we do read the Old Testament, we look at it and we think, man, Israel's the dumbest people on the planet. God has to repeat himself a hundred times. Of course, if we're parents and we have kids, we know that. How many times did I tell you to pick up your shoes? I mean, I got ten of them. I got to do the lessons over and over and over and over and over again. I'm like a tape. Push this button, boom, clean that up, pick that up. The reality is we need the Word of God. And how many of us are hungry and thirsting for Christ? How many of us are really in the Scriptures? Listen, the world, the world is not worse now than it was 2,000 years ago. you understand that? The world is not worse today than it was 2,000 years ago. I think we need to pause on that. See, 2,000 years ago, it was all pagans. There is no church. There is no Holy Spirit to change things. And then the church rose up from the ashes. It rose up from the tomb. It rose up with a resurrected Christ. His Holy Spirit came out, and the world was turned upside down. If we want a better world, we've got to be a better church. That's the deal. we want a better world, we have to be a better church. And the way we're going to be a better church is that you and I get on board with what God's all about. And we learn that from His Word. In His grace, He has given us His Word. Listen, the world and its ways are the direct result of the fruit you and I bear. We're the salt and light of the world. What does the world have to offer the world? Nothing. You and I have three things that the world doesn't have. First of all, we have power. The Holy Spirit, when He comes upon you, will give you power. Power to do what? Power to live like Jesus. Not power to assert authority, but power to be someone different. See, it's natural for me to get angry when you do something wrong. It's natural for me to be selfish. That's what's beautiful about parenting, especially two to about eight. These kids are obvious sinners. Right? (laughs) Obvious. Every time you're in Walmart and a four-year-old's having a temper tantrum, they're demonstrating, hey, I am God. And I'm not happy because the planets are not spinning in proper orbit. And I'm going to let you know right now, right here. That's what that is. That's a sin nature. When a two-year-old grabs a toy from another mm two-year-old, that's sin. Right? We're born that way. But we have the power to break that. I can actually forgive. I can actually love. I can actually tell the truth now. I can actually be faithful as I humble myself before god and allow him to have control of me the power of god resides in the people of god through the holy spirit of god we have that the world doesn't have that second we have motive why do i want a better world if i'm all about me all i want if i'm all about me is for everybody to bow down and worship as long as i got mine i'm good but we love god and we seek the glory of god on the earth your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. And you and I are the mediators for that. You and I are the way that happens. Think about that. You and I are how God wants to change the world. Not himself. He could have sent angels to do that and be more effective if you ask me. I think his distribution system's terrible. I mean, he's using us. And I know I'm not that good. God is committed to you and I to transform the world because we love Him, and then we love others as we love ourselves. So that's what this thing's all about, man. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. What's best for your neighbor? Just ask yourself, what's best for me? And that's what I need to do. I love God, so I love my neighbor. I have the right motive. I have the right motive. And finally, I have hope. Hey, the deal is this world does collapse. Sometime, some point, this thing implodes. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And God's going to live forever with his people. And there's going to be no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain. That's good news. The world doesn't have that. They said, if, if I'm the result of an amoeba turning into a frog that came became a salamander, and then a monkey, and then an ape, and then a, a human, and then I'm just going to go back into the earth... And be fertilizer for the next salamander to become an ape. There's no hope in that. That's nothing. There's no reason to be here. That's a tough place to be. That's what we teach our children in a public school. They're a cosmic accident with no future. It's horrible. Our God says you were created intentionally for a destiny. If your kid's in a public school, you've got to do all you can to keep changing their minds. Son, everything you hear in school ain't true. Those seven adults that are talking to you every day are lying to you about certain things. Come on. Because if you're not doing that, they grow up and they doubt the Scriptures. Because every other adult in their world has told them it ain't true. There is no God, and you're a cosmic accident. That's not what we come here for. And this one hour a week isn't enough to overcome seven hours a day, five days a week. 180 days a year he either is true or he's not and we say he is and so therefore we have to give hope and understanding to the world and to our children listen he satisfies the hungry we just had christmas all of you dads and moms gave nice gifts to your kids jesus said that he goes you you guys know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him God wants to give us everything we need to make a difference in the world for his glory. Not for our welfare, but for his glory, his honor, his praise among men. Let your good deeds be done so that people see him and give him praise. That's the point. That's what he's after. But you and I have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we'll be satisfied. How much do we really want God in our lives? Blessed are the merciful. This one reminds me of Micah six eight. You know that verse. Some people will tell me the Bible's hard to understand. I don't. I don't really get it. And, and when I deal with men that tell me that, I think of two things. One, you're either not reading it, or you're reading the King James and stop doing that. <laughs> All right? I can't understand that either. I have a public education though. Micah six eight. He starts out like this. What does the Lord God require of you? That's a great place to start. How hard is that to understand? What does God require of you? We should all be right there. We should have that memorized. God's going to tell us. I don't want to keep you in the dark. Here's what I require from you. Love or do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. So let's unpack that just for a minute. What does it mean to do justice? That means I always do what's right. I always do the right thing. You can trust me in any contract. I'll do the right thing. If I made this promise, that's what I'll do. That's what it means to do justice. I always do the right thing 100% of the time. I said I would do to that woman. I'm going to be faithful to her to the end. I said I would pay you. I'll pay you. I will do justice. No matter what the requirement, I'll do it. You can trust me 100%. That's my job, to do justice all the time, perfectly right. Now I flip it around. You are not going to do that to me. You're unfaithful, you're selfish, you're mean, you're fleshly, I give you mercy. You didn't come through with your contract. You didn't do what you said you'd do. You let me down again. I need to give you mercy. I need to love mercy. You see, because I'm walking humbly with God, and the truth is I'm a failure too. The truth is, oh God, I need mercy. Let me share with you how this looks practically. I'm driving down the road, I'm doing 78 miles per hour, right? All of a sudden, there's a car behind me with a red bubble on top. What am I doing? Have mercy. I wasn't going that fast, really. I mean, 78, come on. I mean, that's not not really speeding. Have mercy, oh God. Pause. I'm doing 78 down the road, and here comes this car right up on my bumper, about 90. So I pull over. I look over at this fool, and right, I'm thinking, ugh. And then I see another car coming behind with a red bubble on top. And I go, yeah, get him, Lord. That's what he deserves. That fool was going 90. See, I want justice done on that fool, but I want mercy when he's behind me. That's kind of the opposite of what I'm talking about. But now you get it, right? We're supposed to give mercy and do justice. We need to do justice. You and I need to do the right thing. Think about if we just all did the right thing all the time. A whole lot different world this would be. And if we just give mercy to those who fail, because the reality is we're going to fall. And so I walk humbly with God because, oh, God, I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven. That's what that means. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Practically, what does mercy look like? I've hinted at it. It means forgiveness. Mercy just means forgiveness. Whether you ask or not, I forgive you. I forgive you. I just, I'm just going to give you a break. People need a break. It's kind of, again, like with our kids. We give a lot of forgiveness, right? Kids are defiant, rebellious, disobedient, bent on their own way. You don't even think about it. You just, you just forgive them. You just love them until they get to be about 17. Then you think about killing people. <laughs> well, The reality is when they're little and you can still control them, you give forgiveness all day long. That's what it looks like. Forgiveness is what mercy looks like in action. Just forgiveness. And forgiveness means what? I don't hold back. I don't just say the words. It's over. It's done. We need a whole lot more of that in our marriage. We need a whole lot more of that with our children. We need a whole lot more of that with our siblings. We need a whole lot more of that with our friends. I just just forgive you. I get it. You're depraved. I forgive you. I'm depraved too. I got my own issues. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I don't know if very many of us want to see God. Seeing God is a result of intimacy with God. The closer we are to God, the easier it is to see God. The further we are from God, the less desirable He becomes. Seeing God is a direct correlation to my intimacy with God. He gives those who love Him eyes to see Nathaniel, come here, boy. And here is a true Israelite. This man has no guile. He's pure. Paul said, "Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, think about those things." Man, I do not think like that. I got a wife that does. I, I think purity, in part, means I just think the best of others. I just, I just see the best in others. We had this girl get arrested on our porch at six ten in the morning. Uh, Monday, this is banging on my door, tapers. I get up slowly, open the door. She's in hysterics, crying, blabbering out about something, wants to use my phone. What is this? So I, I let her in. She's loud. She's got a horrible mouth. So because I'm full of compassion, I say, hey, 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 I got people sleeping. Be quiet. Here's a phone. Take care of your business. She's blah, blah, loud. Wakes my wife up. My wife comes down. What does she do first? She hugs her. Are you crazy? The cops are coming up on the porch. And my wife's, oh, are you kidding? See, she just thinks well of others. Now, they they put her arms around her back, and they took her away. They got rid of her. And I'm thinking, that's what she gets. I don't even know what she did. (laughs) But my wife is thinking, oh, my goodness. That's too bad. That's sad. (laughs) He's pure in heart. I am not pure in heart. I'm cynical. I'm critical. I'm judgmental I need the lord to just break that See when jesus looked at us He saw the future not the present See, when jesus looked at us, he said all you need is forgiveness and the love of my father placed deeply in your heart And you're gonna be beautiful Right now you're kind of a train wreck, but that's okay I love you anyways You and I got to get to that place. It's hard. It's hard when people are talking back to you. It's hard when people are doing the wrong thing to look in and say, all they need is more Jesus. See, in our house, what I say to all my kids is, we are not having a Jesus moment. Or I'm not having a Jesus moment. I want to kill a whole bunch of people. So uh, everybody knows I got to get to my own little corner and and decompress because I am not having a Jesus moment. I tell my kids, Jesus does not look like this. Okay, Uh, you know, some people say in parenting, you have to be the example you want your kids to follow. I tell them you're crazy. I do not want to be the example my kids are to follow. I want Jesus to be the example because I'm horrible. Now, I have to do my best. But the reality is I want them in the scriptures so they can see who the one true God really is, because if they're defining Christianity from me, it's going to be a mess. I'm not that good of a witness especially with them people who live in my house. They know, right? So, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. We'll pass all those. Blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, this is an important one. Because some of you are peacekeepers. And the problem with a peacekeeper is all they want to do is eliminate conflict. But you know in your house there's all this stuff bubbling. Because the peacekeepers are trying to keep peace. Peacemakers. Here's a peacemaker. A peacemaker engages conflict in order to get to resolution. That's what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker engages conflict in order to get to resolution. How do I know? Matthew 18. You got something with your brother? What are you supposed to do? Bury it. No. You're supposed to go to him. I say, hey, brother, apparently you and I got some issues. I know I got issues with you. Do you have issues with me? We don't usually like that little bit of conflict, confrontation, right? That's what he commands. God says, "Go work that out." And then, if you can't do it yourself, get some help. What about Jesus Himself? Did He look like He was a peacekeeper? That cat was always in fights with somebody. Pharisees hated Him, right? They couldn't get He couldn't get His theology right. Or the Apostle Paul. The accusation against Paul that got him arrested was this. Everywhere he goes, he starts a riot. And you Romans need to put him in jail because he's a troublemaker. But Paul was a peacemaker. Here's the two things we've got to make peace on. First of all, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And the peace he brings is the peace we have with God now through our Lord Jesus Christ. A peacemaker first tries to get people connected to God. Because that's what it takes to have peace with God is they've got to go through Jesus. And you and I are the mediator for helping people do that. God says, you're my ambassadors. I'm making my appeal through you. A peacemaker first tries to get everybody to have peace with God. And that happens through Jesus. And that means telling the story of who he is and what he requires. That's what a peacemaker does. And that's going to create confrontation. Some people in your family be like, I don't need no Jesus. And that's going to bother you. That's going to bother them. And you don't have to beat them up, but you're not going to have peace, but you're going to try to make peace by saying, listen, if you don't get right with God and you get hit by a bus on the way home, you're going to spend eternity in hell. That's where you go. You better fix it. The second thing a peacemaker does is he makes peace within the body. Listen, Jesus is ready to punch out, right? It's John 17. He's getting to the end of his ministry, and he says what? I pray that you and I would be one, even as the Father and I are one. The whole New Testament practically is about unity. It's about you and I loving each other, putting others above ourselves, thinking more highly of others than we think of ourselves so you and I can get along. And that's what we're supposed to be about. As a result of this church, I'm supposed to give myself second place so you can have first place so we can have peace. Instead, I too often want my own way. I want my own preference. And I'm going to insist upon it. And we're going to have conflict. Because I am not willing to humble myself. That's on me. Blessed are the peacemakers, if they want to be like Christ, they're the true sons of God. Because the Son of God is the Prince of Peace who brought peace to the world through his death and resurrection. And he seeks to bring peace between you and I. That's what a peacemaker does. Well, now we get to the fun part. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Here's the deal. This righteousness is not our righteousness. We don't have any righteousness except what is appropriated to us through Christ our Lord. This is the righteousness that comes through Jesus. As we seek to bring peace in the world, we're going to have conflict from the world and we'll be persecuted. You know, we ought to ask ourselves, how much am I really talking about Jesus to people? Here's the most intolerant thing right now in our culture. Jesus is the only way to heaven. There's no other way except him. People hate that, especially this younger generation. Can't stand it. It don't seem fair. Well, you're missing two things if that's the way you understand it. First of all, you're missing the love of God. Well, what are you talking about? If God loves everybody, everybody should go to heaven. No. When God says, listen, you want to pray? Call me father. As father, he wants a relationship with his children. You, you wreck his love when you say any way you want. It. Call him Buddha. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. Those guys are messed up. I want people to know who I really am so they can really receive my love. I'm a great God. I'm a wonderful God. Tell them the truth of who I really am. I don't want them confused. I was not good. Buddha is a mess. The Hindu gods are too many. They're all confusing. If we want people to understand the love of God, then they got to understand who God is, and that's Jesus. The second part is we deny the cross. If all roads lead to heaven, God doesn't need to die on a cross. That's craziness. Why would he do that? But he did. The cross proves again there's only one way. He paid too much. He paid so much that he wants everybody to come to him and understand that. This is how much your God loves you. He gave his life for you. None of the Hindu gods do that. Allah doesn't do that. None of the gods do that. Our God did. He paid a price. He bought you with his blood. We deny that when we say all roads lead to heaven. And then we're going to have conflict as a result. People don't want to hear that word. That's our word, though. So, blessed are the persecuted because of Jesus in you. You know, Revelation 2 and 3 is a record of of him coming back and talking about some of his churches. In every one of those churches, he says, I know your deeds. And I know you're having a hard time. Hang in there. Now, you would think that he would say, and I want to come back and kick some butt, and you're going to be good in about two weeks. It seems like that's what he would say, but that's not what he says. He says, you hang in there, and the one of you that's faithful to the end, after they cut your head off, great is your reward in heaven. Hmm. That does sound like good news to me. I was kind of thinking this story would end a little different, but that's what he says. You hang in there. Trouble you'll have in this world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You know, uh, God proves that two ways. Remember the stories of James and Peter? James gets arrested, and what happens to him? Wop! Off goes his head. Peter gets arrested, and what happens to him? An angel comes and freezing. What was wrong with James? (laughs) I want to be Peter. But we don't get to choose that. And God just says, You be faithful. You be faithful. No matter what, you be faithful to the end. Blessed are you who are persecuted. Great is your reward. Is that what we want? Is that what we want? We have to ask ourselves. Well, we've gone through those rather quickly. I want to wrap up. The band can come back. Three questions we should ask about what just happened this morning. What, so what, and now what? That's how we can measure all sermons and reading the scriptures. What did he just say? Some of you going, I have no idea. He was rambling on about something. What I just said is this. We want God to bless us. Health and wealth is probably not what he's thinking. If we want a better year health and wealth-wise, we should work a little harder and go on a diet. And we'll get health and wealth. But if we want God's blessing, if we want God's blessing, and the way he defines that is radically different. humility. It's mourning, it's peacemaking, it's service, it's persecution, it's long-suffering. So now what? What do we do with that? God, is that what I really want? God, are you really who I want? Do I really want to be poor in spirit so I can live abundantly in you, with you, and have you work through me? I pray that's our prayer as we think about 2015. That that's really what we'll be after. And so now what? The thing we can most practically do to get there is to pick up the book and make reading God's Word a regular habit of our lives, praying and asking Him to reveal Himself and what He'd have me to do in response to that and meet with some others who are doing the same. Let's pray. Father, thanks again for this morning. Thanks for Your goodness. Thanks for Your love. Thanks for Your mercy. Thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ who bought us and paid for us, that we might live forever with you. Thank you for this house of worship. Thank you for these, your people. Lord, I pray your blessing on them. May North Point be known as a church who really is full of the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen.